you can open your Bibles to Jeremiah 28. We'll be picking back up in our series, The Righteous Remnant. Following what Matt preached in chapter 27, we're going to be intimately connected with what Matt preached two weeks ago. And so as we read Jeremiah 28, I'm going to be pointing out some natural divisions in the text. And if you have your Bible um, set up in such a way that you see paragraph form and not verse line by line form, you'll notice that our points today, conveniently, um, coincide with the paragraphs. Okay, so as the paragraphs are devised, so our points will be devised as well. So with that, I'm going to read Jeremiah 28. Read the, God's word with me. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. So also, I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah that went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon and it is here that we see the first major transition in verse 5. As you'll see, it's the beginning of the paragraph. The passage first tells us about Hananiah, and then, the transition word being then, in verse 5 begins speaking of Jeremiah. So our first point this morning, the first division this morning, will be Hananiah prophesies falsely. So picking up in verse 5, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet in the presence of the priest and all the peoples who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you've prophesied come true and bring back to the place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing, Hananiah, and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you, Hananiah, and me, Jeremiah is speaking, from the ancient times prophesied war, famine, pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. And so in verse 10, we see another transition. Jeremiah finishes his response, and the passage will then go back to Hananiah's Actions. And so we have the second division, verses 5 through 9, Jeremiah responds. Picking up in verse 10, Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of the, all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. So again, our transition from verse 12 is based on time, as you see the next paragraph. As Hananiah performs his own sign, there's a length of time that separates the events of the yoke breaking in verses 10 and 11 and what we'll see in the rest of the chapter. And so our third division will be, verses 10 and 11, Hananiah provides a false symbol. 
So picking up in verse 12, sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go tell Hananiah. Thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put on the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you far from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. Verse 17, in that same year, the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. And so that leaves us, verses 12 through 17, that's going to be our fourth division this morning, Jeremiah rebukes. And so when Matt and I prepare a sermon, we're not forcing the passage to say our words, but rather we're forcing ourselves to say what the word says. And with our four divisions and trying to understand them further, we're going to ask four questions. Hananiah prophesies falsely, why is the prophecy problematic? Jeremiah responds, why is his response important? That's going to be verses five through nine. Hananiah provides a false symbol. Is Hananiah more foolish than us? And Jeremiah rebukes. What gave Jeremiah authority to rebuke? To bring these divisions together and to understand the passage this morning, our theme is not in proclaim, but the word of God is true even when it is not right in our own eyes. The word of God is true even when it is not right in our own eyes. And so with that, pray with me, and we'll get into the text. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you take your word seriously. Father, thank you that you, because you take your word seriously, we can trust in the word this morning. So, Father, I pray that we would look to you, that we would trust and believe that your word is true even when it doesn't seem good or right to us. Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. You are our God. We do not dictate your thoughts, actions, or your word. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we get to pray. Amen. And so let's answer our first question. Hananiah prophesies falsely. Why is this prophecy problematic? In verses 1 through 4, as we just read, we heard his prophecy. And basically, Hananiah was telling the people, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Babylon, God's going to destroy him in two years. He even gave a time frame, right? What is problematic about that prophecy? If we recall what Matt preached two weeks ago in chapter 27, we see in verses 9 through 11 of 27, Jeremiah tells all the other nations not to listen to anyone who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie they are prophesying to you. And if you listen to those false prophecies, Jeremiah says, 
you'll perish, you'll die. Okay? Then Jeremiah spoke again directly to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. And in verses 14 and 15 of 27, he says, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name. And if you listen to those false prophets, you'll die. Okay? And then he says it again to the people, directly to the people of Judah, okay? Verses 16 and 17, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you, saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now be shortly brought back from Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them, serve the king of Babylon, and live. Why should this city become a desolation? So a little bit different than the first two, but not really. If you listen to these false prophets, you will die. Okay? It's not good. So the problem with Hananiah's prophecy is clear. Hananiah's prophecy completely contradicts the word of God spoken through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's prophecy specifically guarded against voices like Hananiah's. But unfortunately for Hananiah, the problem goes further than that. As we heard Freddie read our scripture reading this morning in Mark 38, 31 through 38, we saw Jesus foretell his crucifixion. And what did Peter do? He rebuked Jesus. So pro tip, don't rebuke Jesus, right? It's not going to end well for you. And this is coming right off of the heels where Jesus commends Peter for saying, you are the Christ. And Peter rebukes Jesus because he doesn't want Jesus to die. Hananiah, though, committed the same error as Peter. Hananiah challenged the idea that God's people must suffer and that God's people will bless the nations through their suffering. Peter challenged the idea that God himself must suffer and that the nations will be blessed through Jesus' suffering. False prophecy is a severe sin because prophesying falsely is the same thing as rebuking Jesus to his face. It is the same error that Peter made where Jesus told him, Get behind me, Satan. To contradict the word of God is to despise Jesus, who is the word of God himself. So we must confess as God's people, the word of God is true, even when it is not right in our own eyes. And so our second division and our second question, Jeremiah responds, why is his response important? So Jeremiah's sassiness and sarcasm in verse 6 aside, oh yeah, let it be so, Hananiah, right? Setting that aside, we learn from Jeremiah's response in verses 5 through 9 that Hananiah's prophecy directly contradicts not only Jeremiah's prophecy, but the prophecies of countless men before him. So Jeremiah wasn't just upset that Hananiah was stepping on his toes, But Hananiah's prophecy was contradicting every word of God through his prophets that had come before him. 
So Jeremiah's response tells us that a prophecy, or in other words, a message from God, cannot be in contradiction to God's word. So brief application for us today, if there is anything that you believe to be good and righteous, and it, if it contradicts the word of God, it is false. It is a false truth, a false prophecy, a false belief. And we must trust that God's word is true even when it is not right in our own eyes. So Jeremiah's response is important because we know from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, that every prophet and every prophecy given from God was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So looking at those verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, or Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Jeremiah included. But verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken. God spoke in many times and in many ways, but now he has spoken. How? By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. So Jesus came as the better prophet. The prophets spoke the words given to them by God, and Jesus came as the word of God made flesh himself. Prophets were the way in which God revealed himself and his will to his people. Now, praise God, the better prophet, Jesus, has come and revealed to us the entire mystery of his salvation. So true prophecy matters because in the, the ministry of prophecy has always been intended to point to Jesus. True prophets like Jeremiah are shadows of the better prophet, Jesus Christ himself, who came after Jeremiah. False prophets like Hananiah profane the word of God, Jesus himself. You cannot contradict the word of God and commit anything short of blasphemy against our holy God. The word of God is true even when it is not right in our own eyes. So our third division and our third question, Hananiah provides a false symbol. Is Hananiah more foolish than us? So looking at verses 10 and 11, when we heard Matt preach two weeks ago, the yoke around Jeremiah's neck was a symbol that God's people and the pagan nations around them must submit themselves to the rule of Babylon. It was a symbol to accompany Jeremiah's prophecy, right? But Hananiah's false symbol to the people was to undo what God had done. Hananiah contradicted God's word by taking the yoke of rebellion and attempting to magically erase the discipline of the Lord. Hananiah not only spoke on behalf of God when was, he was not given the word of God, but he attempted to do what was right in his own eyes and to say, hey God, I see what you did there, but I think this is better. God revealed his sovereign plan to allow his people to be taken captive, but that he would ultimately deliver them in due time. Hananiah's symbol contradicted this sovereign plan. Now, we've been talking a lot of, uh, saying a lot of negative words about Hananiah. But again, is Hananiah more foolish than those of us in this room 
Is he more foolish than me? We may be quick to write off Hananiah as a fool, but if Jeremiah is pointing to a better prophet in Jesus, then perhaps that leaves Hananiah to be a shadow or a reflection of our own hearts. To help us explain how we can be similar to Hananiah, it can be helpful to ask questions of the text. Similar, like, in what ways am I foolish? Like Hananiah. Pretty straightforward question, right? Consider in your own hearts. Have I ever heard the word of God and decided to do my own thing? Have I ever disregarded a clear teaching of God's word? Do I know that God's word says one thing, but eh, I want to go ahead and do this instead? And have I ever doubted God's goodness and sovereignty in times of pain or struggle? If you have answered yes to any of these questions, or if you're like me and you answered yes to all of these questions, then you, like me, are far more similar to Hananiah than we might be willing to admit. How do we fight, then, these Hananiah tendencies? Recall our theme. The word of God is true even when it is not right in our own eyes. And recall our scripture reading, Mark 8, 34 through 36. So Jesus rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, hey, this is a teaching opportunity. And he starts teaching all the disciples, saying, calling the crowd around him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, says Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross, a crucifixion execution tool, to be clear, and follow me. Take up your electric chair, your lethal injection, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is a hard saying from our God, Cedarview. At the end of the day, the error of Hananiah is born from unbelief. Our unbelief that God could be wiser than us and his word offends us. Unbelief that the cross of Christ is more valuable than the world. Unbelief that losing my life, physically, socially, financially, whatever, for the sake of Jesus and his gospel is in fact saving faith. Our unbelief, if you consider times of sin in your own lives, you'll recognize that the root of it all is unbelief that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is working all things for the good of those who love him. Unbelief points us in the error of Hananiah. So our third division to move forward, our Jeremiah rebukes. What gave Jeremiah the authority to rebuke? Verses 12 through 17, our final division, we see God speak to Jeremiah again, telling him to double down, okay? He doubles down on the symbol from chapter 27. 
And this is where we see that heavier yoke. So ironically, right, intentionally, ironically, God has taken the yoke of wood that Jeremiah first put around his neck and is now making a symbol of a yoke of iron, basically saying, hey, Hananiah, break this one. Okay? So the false symbol of Hananiah breaking the yoke became a literal weight around his own neck as God replaced the broken yoke with the iron yoke, the yoke of his own destruction. And here we see the proof of God's seriousness over his word. God tells Hananiah that he will be removed from the face of the earth for his error. But how interesting is it that Jeremiah didn't leap to make this rebuke immediately? It says that Jeremiah walked away from Hananiah. And then the, from what we can tell from the text, it seems that some amount of time has passed before God spoke to Jeremiah again. And then Jeremiah goes and makes his rebuke. So... The obvious ask, questions to ask would be, what was Jeremiah waiting for? And a follow-up to that question is the question of this division. What, uh, what gave Jeremiah the authority to rebuke? And the answer is simple. God's word gave Jeremiah the authority to make his rebuke. So how do we apply and understand this interaction today? Do we always sit around and wait for the audible word of God to come to us in any sort of conflict with someone else? Whenever there's a need for rebuke, do we have to wait for some sort of megaphone system from God to say, hey, Kyle, go rebuke this person? No. We have what Jeremiah did not. We have the completed word of God available to us. Jesus has revealed the mystery of his salvation and his very flesh, and now we speak with authority as Christians in as much as we speak the word of God. And so what we learn from Jeremiah in chapter 28 is that false prophecy and any contradiction to God's word by his people must be confronted and thwarted with the word of God itself. It's worth noting however, that this was an in-house issue, you could say. That Hananiah was speaking on behalf of God and God's people, and thus he was publicly rebuked. This is not an issue of a false teacher outside of what we would say today, the church. If we went around trying to rebuke every lost person's false teaching... We wouldn't have time to eat, sleep, drink, or anything else. But when God's people, when someone speaks on behalf of God to his people, falsehoods that contradict his word, we must, not just me, not just Matt, we as the church must confront contradiction. We must confront false teaching with the true word of God. And we know that God's word proves true because Hananiah perished by God's judgment just as he said he would. And verse 17 again, in that same year, the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. The word of God is true, church, even if it is not right in our own eyes. But again, our eyes or our hearts 
in our ears tend toward the message of Hananiah. Jeremiah, who serves as a shadow of the Jesus who was to come, rebukes Hananiah for his sinful desire to erase the hardships of God's people in the name of grace and peace. Hananiah, again, ironically, as a name, means God is gracious. And so God smited Hananiah in irony. God is gracious. But we can know and trust that God was gracious to strike down a false prophet in the midst of his people. In our sinfulness, though, we desperately grasp for the meaning or the message of least resistance, and we convince ourselves that it's a revelation of God. Whatever the easiest answer is, not just easy for us to understand, easy for us to believe. Whatever the easiest option is, we will always tend toward that direction. The way to destruction is wide and easy. But the way to salvation is a narrow road. Consider with me 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Every generation since this was written by Paul has read this passage and said, oh, this sounds like today. Right? Because it does. We will always reach for myths, legends, fables, anything that we can get our hands on that gives us an easier road ahead. To conclude, we can praise God that the word of God is true, even when it is not right, right in our own eyes. Because what a scary world it would be if we dictated what was good and right and true. What if we did know better than the God whom we worship? Is that a God deserving of worship? I would have to say no. If we know better than God, then we ought to worship Ourselves, And so if there is something that does not seem right to us, but God has said it, then we have to set our own preferences, our own thoughts, our own understandings aside and step forward in faith. Church, we can rest knowing that all, uh, that our all-knowing, all-powerful and sovereign God is working every passion, every suffering of God's people, every failure, every attempt at evil from his people, every captivity of his people, every bad and troubling event in all of history, yours or anyone else's, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So Cedarview, we have asked four questions to understand our passage, and we have discovered that Hananiah's prophecy contradicted God's word that was already spoken. The importance of prophecy is how it points to Jesus. And our tendencies are to challenge God's word, just like Hananiah or Peter or literally any other example you could give. 
and that God's word is what gives God's people authority. And so as we close, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. And so be encouraged, church, that when you fail as Peter failed, as you are declared to be Satan by Jesus, as Peter was declared to be Satan, that the grace of God and the work of the Spirit in you, if you have repented and believed in the gospel, produces 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. The same Peter that rebuked Jesus is telling us today to trust him even when fiery trials come upon you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you know more than we know. Thank you that you have strength that we do not have. Father, thank you that you are holy. You are separate. You are above. You are transcendent. You are different than us. And it is that holiness, that transcendence, that separateness that makes you worthy of worship. We are created beings, Father. And you are the creator. And so, Father, I pray that as we struggle through various myths and legends and teachings and whatever else the world throws at us, I pray that we would trust your word, that we would seek to understand better what your word says, that we wouldn't trust only the words of me or Matt or any other preacher, but we would hear the word preached and we would go back to the Bible ourselves to confirm that it is true. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we get to pray.